you never ever really want to walk into any business meeting and say you got the second best of anything because it will beg the obvious question well where's the best question in a world where groupthink is the norm others want what you've earned and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back how do you flip the script and level up your business your money relationships your health your status and your life that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to Shatter the Mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shatter the Mold. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and that voice you heard right before the intro belongs to Todd McFarlane, creator of Spawn, founding partner and president of Image Comics, owner of McFarlane Toys, and holder of the Guinness World Record for most consecutive issues for an independent comic. He also holds the record for most issues sold of an independent comic with Spawn number 1 at 1.7 million copies and the most copies sold of one issue by a single creator with Spider-Man number 1 from 1990 at 2.3 million. In short, this man is a machine and his resume is stacked to the gills with success after success after success. But the thing that most people don't realize who are not familiar with Todd is that this success is only partially due to his talent and mostly due to his incredible business acumen. This man is an entrepreneur in the purest sense of the word. And you'll be able to tell very easily by our conversation, you could hear it on my voice, I am a huge, huge fan of this man. And I've learned a lot from him about being an entrepreneur for over 25 years now. Just following what he does, following how he does it, understanding his moves in ways that a lot of people that aren't paying attention don't really understand. And the really cool thing about Todd is he doesn't really teach this. He just does what he does. So most people, when you really want to find a true business leader who's really going to show you the ropes and show you the best way to handle business, they usually have books or they sell courses and, and all that's fine. But the thing about Todd is the only way you're going to really learn from him is if you follow and pay attention because he's too busy actually making money and doing well in business to take time out to actually create courses and books to show other people how to do it. So really, you want to sit tight for what's going to be an amazing interview. And you're going to notice this is the longest interview in the history of the show so far. I didn't want to split this into different parts. And, you know, Todd being Todd, he was just so generous with his time. He was so attentive to making sure that he was delivering really useful information. And we just went for about an hour and a half on this. So, you know, that's the reason the interview is so long. I really didn't want to cut anything out of it. I want to give you every little last drop of gold that Todd chose to share in his stories and in his anecdotes and in his responses to my questions. I really don't want to build this up anymore other than saying you are in for one hell of an interview. And, you know, before we dive in, just a quick update for everyone that has been asking. The last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read is still doing really well. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who continues to buy it. It's still number one in multiple categories on Amazon, and it's doing really well on Audible and on iTunes for the audiobook as well. So again, thanks to everyone who continues to write in with really awesome reviews and really giving me great feedback. I appreciate it more than words can say. And believe it or not, some of the skills and some of the marketing tactics and moves that I use in order to get that book where it is and get it in the public sphere of awareness is based in part on things that I've learned from Todd all over the years. So let's waste no more time building this up. Let's just dive on in. I'm going to switch mics, and this is going to be me and Todd getting into it. Awesome. All right. Well, then, with that said, um, Mr. Todd McFarlane, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to Shatter the Mold. 
Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. And before we get started, can I tip my hat to you and people like you that at this sort of odd time that we're all going through, I think uh, still engaging in all the various topics uh, that we all sort of have an interest in and or hobbies. Uh, we can't, we can't, my, my fear is we can't disengage from those interests. So people like yourself and others that just keep pumping out information and conversations and entertainment, I think, I think is a tremendous service. So, so thanks for doing it. Thank you. You know, I, I really appreciate that, Todd. And it's so interesting because that kind of leads me into the first thing I was going to bring up to you because here we are in the middle of one of the strangest times in world history and a lot of people are closing down but you and I followed you for a while so I I knew this would happen but you in the midst of it all you didn't slow down you launched your very first Kickstarter in the midst of all the craziness and you funded your $100,000 goal in like 11 minutes you hit the million dollar mark within two or three days and you're sitting at over 2 million right now. Like you are taking action in the middle of this and you're engaging with your audience and your customer and you're doing things. And I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, obviously I know that you were going to do this no matter what, but how much thought went into that about the pandemic in terms of consideration of, do you hold it back a week or do you, do you do a different approach to let people know about the Kickstarter? So uh, I'm guessing all entrepreneurs, all families, all business owners, all world leaders, all government, everybody is asking the exact same question, right? And the, the piece of the puzzle that's probably the most infuriating and frustrating for all of us is we don't actually know what the end and what the end date is. If you know that there are certain cycles, especially in business that last six months, eight months, 10, you can plan towards those dates, right? Hmm. We're dealing with an unknown. We don't know what the date is. So I just say that sort of as a preamble that given that we don't know what the future is, that basically begins at least for me to basically formulate why I do what I do. So let's go back to your question. Um, you're saying that some people are shutting down and, and, and I'm not, that's not quite true. Uh, one of the companies I have is a comic book, uh, and you know, I, I'm the president of image comics, which is the third largest behind Marvel and DC. Um, and I also do my own books and currently the comic book industry is shut down. No new comic books are being produced just like Hollywood, no new TV, no new, no new movies, zero. We are 0% new product. Okay. That's just the byproduct of where we're at. Now the question is, going to what you're asking, what do you do about that, right? There are conversations I'm having, and, and again, I also have the, the toy industry and I have my entertainment too. There are conversations I'm having with certain people whose early reaction within the last month was, well, let's just wait it out and just see how it goes. I get that to a point, but here's the, here's, here's the piece that I will not go for the ride. I will not adhere to that piece of a plan, which is, you know, let's just be patient and wait it out when nobody can tell me who says those words when that plan will end. Mm -hmm. And so if the, the answer is for us to do nothing and wait, my question is, what if the waiting lasts two years? Right. Then we're going to be in a lot of trouble or 
the world's going to change and dynamics going to change and business is going to change before our very eyes and our and, and buying habits are going to change in front of us as we're waiting now i guess you could then then play catch up once you see all the changes or you can basically try and do something along the way and for me as somebody who owns my own company i've got two plans i've got the 60 to 90 day plan and then i've got the catastrophic plan and the catastrophic plan still needs to be thought about today i believe because what happens if it's not 90 days ladies and gentlemen what if it actually gets worse or things crumble or certain industries fall apart that begin certain things and i'm not saying across the board but tumbling in such a way that it may affect the business that you personally are in so I think prudent companies not only should have your short-term plan, but should have another task force that are doing the long-term plan and hope that you never have to implement the long-term plan, that, that you never have to put in the catastrophic. Okay, but what if the catastrophic comes and it takes six months to implement your new plan? If you're doing nothing today, you will be six months behind, and I'm telling you, you will get gobbled up. So here's here's i've been through swings and and i've been at this for 30 years i've been through down swings in the economy and all of the crash crashes in the stock market all all of the above recessions all of the above never been in anything like this so there's the unknown so we don't have any data but here's what i know the victory for any entrepreneur the victory is survival not growth not maintaining your sales surviving and here's why you want to survive. Because if you're in a group with 20 people, and at the end, when you come out on the other side, only 10 of you are left. If you were the 20th to start with out of the 20, you were the worst of the bunch. If you survive and half of them go out of business, you automatically are in the top 10. And you did nothing other than to basically survive and tell about it. So everything you're doing should be not how do I basically keep the same money now? How do I maintain sales now? It's how do we survive because everybody isn't. And you're just gonna go up enough notches for everyone that fails. And that's sort of my goal has always been my goal. So I'm just gonna go up by default because I'm, I'm gonna survive. I'm, I'm like a cockroach. So <laughs> It's like the old uh, Forrest Gump on the boat approach, right? All the other ships go down, you're there and then you thrive. Right. And, and for, you know, look at it in the toy business where we get phone calls from big studios saying, hey, we're making this new TV show and this new movie. You want to do some product, right? Okay. Maybe I was number nine on their, on their list of, of phoning. Four of them go out of business. I'm going to be number five on their dial list, right? All of a sudden, more opportunities are going to come to me post coming out on the other side of this than may have been there prior to us going into it. Right. So there are going to be, quote unquote, people who are going to, you know, sort of get the positives out of this. And some people obviously are going to get the negatives. My I'm just too, too stubborn to just say I'm just going to go along. So to the Kickstarter, let's talk about Kickstarter for a moment. Did we have the conversation uh, amongst uh, some different people and, and people in my office saying, you know, maybe might not be a very good time now. Maybe we should wait. And maybe we should just put it out after everybody's relaxed. Again, the question is, okay, let's wait. Let's not do the Kickstarter. Let's wait. How long are we waiting? How long are we waiting? We don't know. Well, I'll tell you what my opinion in is. 
and luckily my name's on the door, so I get 51% of the vote. <laughs> I think that right now people are at least hopeful and uh, keep thinking that sort of the good news is around the corner. We may be deluding ourselves, but at least we still have that mentally. Why would I want to wait eight months, nine months, find out that I was completely wrong, and then say, oh, good, now that every single customer is depressed and half of them don't have their job, now's the time I'm going to try and do commerce. <laughs> nah, I'll, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll always sort of do something when people are in a good mood. You get, you get way more results when people are in a good mood than when they're in a bad mood. So I'm like, no, let's go. Oh, by the way, the character happened to just drop in the Mortal Kombat 11 video game. So he's got a little bit of buzz and we just won comic book of the year. You know, the award just dropped for that. So like, why, why would we, why would we give that window up? Why would we wait eight months from now uh, when there's a window of opportunity now? Right. So, okay, guys, you all do nothing. I'm going to do something The fans want something. And so by default, they're going to go, well, we don't really like Todd. We don't really like his product, but he's the only guy doing something. I guess we'll have to support him. I'll take it any way I can get it. Like, I'm not proud. I don't care if they come to me begrudgingly. <laughs> I still do it, right? So I don't know. It's a weird thing for people in business to say, let's just wait and do nothing. Right. Now, the intriguing thing about you, well, I mean, for me, I have a luxury and what I do is, is all digital. So it's, it's very easy for me to, to do that. You're a products guy where like we're talking about a physical product that's going to be produced in a factory. Have conversations had or are there concerns right now about getting these products produced based on limitations or are things resolved and we don't know about it yet? Yeah, well, well again, I, as I mentioned, in the comic book industry, we're producing zero new, mm -hmm. new products. Now, uh, the, the upside, so let me talk, let me talk a little bit about the toy company and then I'll jump to the, to the, uh, to the comic company on the toy side. Um, there was a natural slowdown because again, some of the early signs of the virus were happening, uh, on that side of the world. Uh, and so they were being cautious, but, and there was a, there was an impact, there was a, a strong impact early and then it sort of slowed down. So right now, I mean, again, and things can change globally, right now, the impact on getting the product out of our factory, they're not telling us that they're at a de detriment. Again, I'm not making 4 billion units of anything. Mm. So maybe if I was, maybe if I, if I was uh, Apple or somebody like that that was making a lot of product, then, then I'd probably be running into, you know, chain supply problems. Uh, we're not. Uh, so there's a slowdown, a natural slowdown, but nothing that I don't think is going to be overly detrimental. On the comic book side, like I said, we're producing zero. Here's the thing that's interesting, especially when I talk to some of my comic book people, like, let's just wait it out. Hot, let, let's just take an industry. We compete with entertainment dollars. So Hollywood, let's take a big one. Hollywood, a multi-billion dollar industry, has shut down new products. For all intents and purposes, they shut it down. Why? Because their model of getting you new product means they need 100 people in a small confined space so they can actually film that idea, right? So they're at a disadvantage. We in the comic book industry have historically been social distancing. It's what we do, <laughs> right? The writer is in New York. The artist is in Florida. The inker might be up in Canada. And the guy who's, or gal who's coloring it may be in Peru right? We, we're not near each other. So we, I think we have a huge advantage. We can still produce 
because we produce from a distance anyways. So now while these billion dollar empires are shut down, we should be trying to figure out how to basically fill that void where the geeks want something. Because if we wait, here's the downside. Here's the crazy to me of waiting. What are we waiting for? We're going to wait till it all opens up. Okay. So it all opens up. If it all opens up for us, it's going to open up for everybody else. Oh, did you know that Hollywood has a billion plus dollars at their disposal to get those people back? We don't in our industry, especially comic books. So why would we wait until the billion dollar giants basically can then come and use their billion dollars against us? Why wouldn't we take advantage now when they can't produce their content, but we can? That's our big asset right now. We can produce and the fans want it. What's getting disrupted is the delivery mechanism. How do we then do that? I don't know. I don't have, I don't have all the answers. Name's Todd, only rhymes with God. So I, there are some possibilities. But to sit there and go, no, no, we're going to wait for the giant to basically get back in the driver's seat? Come on. This isn't how you play the game. When the giant goes to sleep, that's when you basically move as a little person. That's when you go, right? You don't go toe-to-toe with giants because they, they, they just have more at their disposal. Oh, come on. So anyways, it's, it's interesting, the mindsets of other people. Yeah, for, for sure. And it's interesting, you know, to hear you say um, you're from the little guy's perspective. And it's yep. funny, like it's for you, it's relative. In certain yep. worlds, you're the little guy. And in other worlds, you're the biggest guy walking. Do, does your train of thought change on the situation? Or do you always have that little guy mentality and, and scraping and clawing no matter what you're doing? Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't lose the little guy mentality. As a matter of fact, I'd say that 85% of the decisions I make creatively are based on me remembering the 16-year-old Todd McFarlane. And the 16-year-old Todd McFarlane was uh, a fanatic about, about what he was collecting and loved it. Um, but he had very little money in his pocket and was always looking for the most value at the cheapest price. Um, and even though I understood that there were products that were 80, 90, hundred dollars, I couldn't afford it. Um, and so I was always looking, what can I get for five, 10, $10, right? Uh, and so to me, I still have that mentality. Uh, people, I mean, people are a lot of times they even comparing my toys, uh, to product that's out in the marketplace. That's four, sometimes five times more than mine. And hmm. so, which is a weird apples and oranges. They're like, why don't, even on the Kickstarter, if you read some of the comments, why don't you give this and this, or have you looked at that company? Why they gave this and this and this away. And it's like, shoot, you, if you want me to give you $3 more a product and charge you $80 more, somehow that makes you feel good as a consumer. Okay. But let me just tell you, if I ever did do a hundred dollar toy, I'd give you 10 times as much as they're giving you right? You're getting ripped off. I know how much all this costs. You're getting ripped off, but you've become so conditioned to being ripped off that you think that that's the norm. So when a guy like me comes along and gives you a fair price and gives you fair product, then you say nice things to me, which you shouldn't like, Oh, Todd, you're so great. You do this. You're so great. You're so, I'm not great. They're greedy. That's the difference. 
So when I'm not greedy, I look great. Wow. Okay. God bless greed then. God bless greed because it makes me look good every single day. So mm. I'm not, I'm also not a public company. So I don't have to make decisions to maximize my decision making for every 90 days when I got to step on a, a conference call and talk about my earnings. I don't have, I don't, I can, I can think about stuff way, way different. And because we're a small company, relative speaking, we can move way faster than the big guys, right? I've always said the advantage of being a big giant billion dollar company is that they're big. The downside of a big billion dollar company is that they're big and bigness moves slow, right? And my, my, my blessing and my curse is my size. That, that my downside is that I, I'm not as big as them and I can't do a lot of things they can do. My upside is that I am so nimble and so quick that whatever you think we can do, we can turn it on a dime and we can do it within three days. I've had meetings with people like at Walmart. We have a discussion on Monday. By Tuesday, I say, let me go home and think about it. I give them the answer on, on Tuesday and by Wednesday, we're already in implementing the plan within 48 hours. The big people, the big company, will take four days just to get anybody in a room to have a conversation as to whether they can even think about what happened on Monday. I'm already be two days into implementing, right? <laughs> so, so somewhere there's the value of, of being a little bit smaller that you can just go quicker. Also, being small, history will show you this lesson is that big companies fall in love with their success at some point, whatever number it is. And they should, you know, they go, hey, we're making a billion, two billion dollars. I, if, I, if I was making a billion, I'd probably protect it too. Uh, so they protect it. The downside of protecting it too much is that you lose innovation. And then what ends up happening is the next person comes along who was doing something in their garage or their basement. And all of a sudden, right? Steve Jobs, the Steve Jobs of the world, right? They come and they come out of nowhere. Why? Because the people, the 800 pound gorillas that were running the industries that were basically getting fat, dumb and happy, they stopped innovating and somebody comes along and innovates just a little bit, just a little bit. And everybody goes crazy for it. And next thing you know, they move. And it just mm -hmm. keeps happening over and over and over in the history of commerce globally. So these aren't even right. unique circles. So. Uh, you stay agile, you stay flexible, and you move really fast. And, you know, I, I've, again, I, I try to pay close attention. Uh, it seems like for your specific toys, you can't really pigeonhole them. But on, you know, on more than average, you seem to value articulation and plastic. And I'm wondering, do you ever have conversations with your team or even in your own head about breaking from that convention for the sake of it to, to experiment and see what happens. Do you have conversations like, let's make a rubber doll of spawn and see how that does. Does that no, ever I, get on the so, table? Let me see if I can break it down simpler than that. I think there are components to what I do, at least in my industry that matter, right? Here's, here's what matters. Price. I think it's, I think it's the king. Price mm -hmm. is the king. Price, quality, plastic, and brand names. And you can put those in a little bit of different orders depending on who you are, right? But let's just go to the first three. Let's, let's, let's save brand name to the end. Um, how, at the beginning of me starting a toy company, do I go into Toys R Us, Walmart, Target against Fortune 500 companies 
a couple examples are, are like Hasbro and Mattel, billion dollar empire, and survive every day, right? And again, people go, oh my God, Todd, you're surviving against the giants. The, the question really, it should be like, why can't the giants kill me, right? Mm. They're bigger, they've got more weight, they've got more weapons, they've got more people, they've got more money, they've got more marketing, they've got everything more. Why can't? Because here's what they can't do. They can't beat me at price and they can't beat me at quality, right? And so, and here's, and the plastic is part of the quality. So here's what I know for a fact. If they put out a $6 toy, I can go right next to them and put out a $6 toy, except for here's the difference. When you add the quality, it's going to look like a $9 toy next to their $6 toy. So then somebody's going to look at the two and go, oh my gosh, that's six bucks and that's six bucks. Again, we're not factoring the brand. I'll bring that in later. But they're going, man, there's two toys there. One looks like it's worth $9 and one looks like it's worth six. Same price, six bucks. I'll take the $9 version. Okay, cool, right? Then you do the other one. At times, I actually make bigger toys. And I go, give them more plastic. This is easy. This is easy for the consumer. Now they're looking at it and they're saying, wow. So, so you're saying then that I can either buy that one toy over there. There's the chocolate bar. I got this much chocolate bar for $10. Todd's given us this much chocolate for $10. Sometimes he even gives us this much chocolate for $10. I can either get this much chocolate for 10 bucks or I can get this much chocolate for 10 bucks. People understand product size. So they're going, wow, look how big that toy is for the same price. Oh my gosh. That's how I was able to survive for nearly two decades with no big giant brands and going up against Star Wars and, and uh, Batman and Marvel and DC, just with Spawn, who nobody really knows, and other sort of crazy things that came out of my head because I just gave them more value. And then if you take those three things, price, plastic, and quality, and you throw a brand name on top of it, done, done, right? Hmm. The, big, the big companies won't do it. The big companies are actually looking at the opposite. They're going, how do we do a tonnage program? And how do we make sure that our margins are big? Why? Because we have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholder to maximize profit. So we got to maximize the profit. So instead of figuring out how to do better quality and how to basically give them more plastic, they're figuring out how to give them less plastic and how to cut a paint application here or how not to put an accessory in here or how to do a little bit less uh, articulation there. Why? Because it saves them a nickel. And if you are making 5 million units and you save a nickel 5 million times, it's money. It's real money to them. And that's their weakness. That's their weakness. They can't help themselves because they're obliged to maximize profits every single day. I am not obliged to do that. I own my company. And I don't have to ask anybody's permission to how much money we make. So if I get to zero and I'm happy with zero, matter of fact, sometimes I've even done things where I knew I was going to lose, but I knew it would be good for street cred, then that's, that's up to me. You can't do those moves if you're a public company. And so all of a sudden, going back to your point, being nimble, it has a value. Being nimble has a value. You mentioned brands, and I know just recently, after probably 20 years of trying, because you've been in the toy business for decades, yeah. you yeah. secured the license for DC Universe, or DC Multiverse, rather. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is there any 
is there anything different or additional in your train of thought when you're making those toys or, or different considerations besides the approval that you have to go through now that you're on this big brand that you haven't touched for two decades, even though you were trying to? Yeah, uh, that one. So, so let's talk about that. That's an interesting sort of uh, exercise that I have to do, which is different than me taking an idea that I have or taking one of my characters that I've invented. Because that one, I would just come up with the idea. We say, yeah, cool. And we implement. Done. Good, bad, or indifferent. Done. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go and have license with people, and I've done hundreds and hundreds of these over the decades now, uh, you're, you're, you're basically borrowing the keys to somebody's car, right? So they want to protect it. They want to make sure that the car comes back in good shape. So obviously they know their brands or they should know their brands more than anybody else. They know what their future plans are also of what they're going to do with those brands. And my job is to come in and see if I can sort of hook myself onto their tail, right? So if I'm doing, let's say, uh, you know, the DC multiverse and they say, hey, we've got a Wonder Woman movie coming out or we've got a Batman movie coming out or Superman movie coming out. Then, then those are good opportunities to see if you can sort of glide on with them. Um, in terms of the actual product, uh, it was interesting, specifically speaking about the DC Multiverse, uh, that they also hired another toy company, uh, Spin Master, I believe Spin Master. Uh, and they're doing what I would call the more traditional toys, the ones that you would, you would expect in the toy aisle, the ones that most moms and dads look at. So for me, I, I was trying to figure out ways to differentiate between the two because we were both going to be in the toy aisle and it didn't sort of seem, you know, too prudent to have two companies essentially doing the same product look the same, maybe a little bit of price difference, but, but visually not that much. Uh, it's not good for me to be copying or tripping over what uh, Spin Master doing and Spin Master, I'm sure, I've never asked, but I assume that they wouldn't want the same happening with me. So the, I think the better point of that would be to differentiate, right? You got Spin Master on this side, giving you all this cool uh, DC multiverse stuff. And you got, you know, McFarland toys on this side, giving you all this cool. And then collectively, the presence of DC multiverse gets twice as big. And there's, there's, there's a big assortment at different prices and everything else, right? Of course, would I like to have all the uh, all that space? Of course I would. Would Spin Master like to have all? Of course, but we're sharing the space. And then you just let the cream rise to the top and you let people decide what it is that they want. You know, moms might say, hey, we want, you know, this little $4 thing I can just get my kid. I don't care if it moves and it looks super fancy. And then there's other people go, no, I'm buying a little bit higher end uh, Christmas gift or I'm buying something because I'm 25 and I'm a geek. Uh, and I'm buying it for myself. And so that one's probably going to tip a little bit closer to some of the stuff I'm doing. Mm. Uh, and then you're, you're constantly trying to weigh what kind of characters you're doing and making sure you're not crossing over the visual looks of all that. Uh, and so we tried some of it early on in our first wave and to, to very good uh, data success, sales success. And so we're just going to implement and keep going in that direction even more that I think is going to give a wider range of it. And I, and we've, had not only good sales success on some of those products, but lots of good geekdom uh, comments. And I'm telling you, we haven't even begun. It's a three-year contract and mm-hmm. we haven't even begun. Like, like because the, the first wave was us just learning the dance on what we could and couldn't do, building our, you know, our trust with uh, Warner Brothers who owns DC uh, 
uh, and getting Warner Brothers to have the confidence that, you know, some of the ideas that we've talked about that I could implement them. Uh, and so I know what we have planned for Christmas. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a jump from where we started in January. Uh, and so I'm like, if you guys are getting excited, geeks, then I know creatively it's, it's only getting way better because I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, right. we're, we're making it. So, so your credit, um, it's very clear that you pay so-called like lip service to the fans. You try to give them what they want. You try to bring to life a lot of the things that they request. So, um, uh, not, 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 not as, not as much as you think. Uh, mm, so early. because, because the torture, let me just tell you the torture of doing anything as a small entrepreneur is listening to the fan not the cut like a, like a customer saying hey the, bl the blades keep falling off my blender that that's a valid one but once you start getting into sort of entertainment and geek right uh we did we found this with sports too uh that everybody has their favorite team and everybody wants their favorite thing and if you ask 20 fans what their perfect toy would be you're going to get 20 different answers what you try to do is not keep them all happy because you can't, it's an impossible task hmm. is you try to say, Hey, well, here's, here's all the combined comments that we get. And there seem to be three or four that seem to be repetitive. So can we address those three or four? We can never address the hundred comments because we'd be going off and doing a Frankenstein uh, toy because we'd do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but there seems to be three things. Uh, that are consistently being asked for, can we deliver on those three things? So in that respect, the answer is yes. I try to listen to what I think the majority is looking for. Right. Uh, and and, and, and you, you, can't, you can't fall into the cycle of, of listening to every minute detail of everything because you'll, you'll get literally analysis paralysis doing Got it. it. With that in mind, I'm wondering, are you getting nostalgia fans knowing that you've acquired this DC license asking to do like a Spawn Batman two-pack to honor the comic you did 25 years ago? Well, we'll go back even further. I'm getting people ask me if, if I'm ever going to do the George Reeves Superman. So George oh. Reeves, for people who don't know, because lots of people like you weren't on the planet when he was Superman, but George Reeves was an actor in the late 50s, early 60s, and used to have a TV show on TV. I used to watch the reruns when I was a kid. And so he was the Superman long before Christopher Reeves, right? So right. George Reeves, and then there's Christopher Reeves, and then it just keeps going on. Um, are there some fans, geeks, that would find that appeal? Of course there would. Uh, do I think that I can make that figure and sell it at Walmart and Target? No, because I don't think it's the place that you put that kind of product. Could I possibly do that figure along with the Adam West Batman and, you know, whatever, you know, uh, whoever some of the other old actors are and do it as a crowdfunding or on a website or a dot com. Uh-huh. I think that's the appropriate place for it because you can charge a little bit more because those are older collectors are willing to basically pay a little bit more because you're going to have a limited run and you're going to have to amortize your cost over fewer units. Um, so that's, that's a different, offering if you will that's that's the that's that's not the same model of saying hey we got this line that we want to do and we want to make sure that it appeals not only to the buyers 
at you know Target and, and Walmart and those kinds of stores internationally, but comma, but that it also has some appeal to both potentially both a eight-year-old kid and his parent uh, and uh, a geek, whether that geek is 25, 35, or 45, right? And so to, you know, to get a little more specific, we did this Superman in armor. We did actually a Batman in armor and a Superman in armor. Both of those characters have been in the comic book, but I think the Superman in armor was on four panels, which basically means there's four drawings, separate drawings, period, finito. That was it. He wasn't even on one full page, ever. Uh, I think the Batman in armor was on a couple, in a couple pages. Um, so I didn't pick them because they were popular in the comic books. I picked them because I'm in the toy business and, and that looks cool. And never underestimate as part of the, the three things, never underestimate as part of the quality, the cool factor right? You put something cool up in a box, the kid will walk by because shoot, I know what I was like. I know what my brothers were like. You walk by something that's cool and they're going, oh my gosh, mom. And then mom sees this. Now when mom comes back, goes, you don't need that. But she sees that it's big and it's quality and it's at a good price. Then maybe she may go, well, I love my children. Maybe just this once I'll spoil them for the thousandth time. Uh, and you can get there. But you, so you've got this box that's stuffed with this Superman that nobody's seen before. It's like Superman in this cool armor. It's all metallic. I use metal flake uh, for some of the paint on him. You pick it up off the hook. It's heavy. Again, don't underestimate plastic. People going, wow, that's heft, that, that feels good. And then you get it home and you find out that not only is he big, but I, I had to hide the two wings because the box was too small. And then you put the wings on and he gets even bigger. And you're going, wow, now... This guy that looked cool, the guy that looked cool in, in the box, I take him home and I get to put the wings on him. Woo! I just got volume and it didn't cost me any more. Okay. Uh, what does that have to do with any of the comic books? Not much. It's just a good looking toy. And people who are geeks will go, wow, Todd, that's a good looking toy, right? I, I collect Superman stuff. I don't have a Superman that looks like that. I'll add that to my collection. And I can say it was actually in the comic book. So it's not like I just made it up off the top of my head. Although I think I could. And I, I, and I, and I think I could still sell, you know, some crazy Todd idea of the Superman and Batman out in the marketplace. So all, all, all of that, all of that is how I just keep going right next to the peg of the billion dollar guys, right? Just a little bit of this. Sometimes just is enough to keep me in existence for another year. Right. I, I love the obvious attention to detail that comes through the obvious passion for what you want to do. And um, I want to also quickly highlight your skill with positioning for people. And I just tell you a quick story. When I was in college, um, that was around the time where you were that guy who bought the 70th Mark McGuire home run baseball. <laughs> and um, I did in my advanced, I don't remember the name, it was advanced business course. I did a presentation and a report on you because I said, okay, I've been following Todd for years and he's going to take that ball and he's going to leverage it and use it to get his toy company into Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, NFL. And my professor gave me a B minus because he thought my conclusions were too ridiculous. But unless I got to step off on things, that is exactly what you did with that baseball. Right. The ridiculous, the, and, and, and he was, 
he was half right. Okay. It, it, it was ridiculous if you used the norms. He was, he's been trained by the norms, right? So, right. so, so I'll get back to the baseball, but let me just give anybody who's listening a couple pointers in my limited life uh, as I'm starting to become an old man now. The greatest enemy any of you will face, and you will face it multiple times, status quo. It will be the thing that you will rail against the most, that will come and aggravate you the most. Listen to your own conversations about when you're frustrated. It's because you have figured out other ways to do the same thing. You have figured out efficiencies to do the same thing. You have figured out a new development of the same thing, and you will get pushed back because everybody, for the most part, from the top down, will basically not reward that mentality. Why? Because it's way easier, ladies and gentlemen, to just get along and just put your head down and just do what your boss wants you to do. If your boss doesn't expect you to be any more efficient, why should you expect it for yourself, for them? If they don't want it, why should you want it? But there is a small group of human beings that just can't live with status quo. And here's why we can't and why, to some extent, every human being shouldn't. Because if you look at the history of man from the dawn of time, there's only two consistencies in, in, in humanity since the dawn of man. One is death. We're all going to die, right? Just at some point, you're going to have to accept it. That's a truism. And two, change change ladies and gentlemen because if it wasn't we'd be living in caves still and we're not and we don't cook everything by going out and killing it with a spear and having to sit around a barbecue and like there we've evolved and we change and we change and we change and that's it and it's always staggering to me that when you come up with an idea that adds an efficiency when most change is because of efficiency let's just be pragmatic right the reason they used a knife instead of a rock to kill prey was because it was efficient. Then they made it a spear. Then they made it a gun. Then they made it poison. I mean, what are you talking about, right? Then we used to walk to our girlfriends. Then we used to go on a horse. Now we take a car. Now we take a plane. There's, the efficiencies are always coming. So what they're going to always tell you, and what your professor felt prey to a little bit, was this is how you actually succeed. And he's right. 95% of the time because that's what gets rewarded 95% of the time. And then there's the 5% crack. And those are the stories that you hear about and you'll be reading about for since again, the Donna man, the people sort of went in the cracks and they sort of, they, they sort of marched to the, their own drummer's beat and they just say, no, they just say no. Now I'm, let me be clear. Everybody who said no, has not succeeded. There, there are, once you say no, you probably got another 90% failure rate on top of it. But every now and then, somebody gloriously sort of succeeds and they become the new example as to why we have to keep innovating, why we have to keep changing. So does it make any sense to your professor and to the average person that I would buy a $3 ball for $3 million? No, it makes zero sense. How do you leverage a $3 ball that you just paid $3 million for and, and leverage it someplace? It's easy. 
I've been banging on the doors as a toy maker to try and get uh, sports. Why? Because I'm a sports guy. I, I played Pac-10 baseball until I got my university paid for. I'm, 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 besides, I'm a geek for like fantasy and comic book stuff. I'm a sports geek. I'm a fanatic. Uh, so I wanted to get into sports. Again, stick to what you know. Another, another good one. Not a complete truism, but it's not bad. Stick to what you know. So I know sports. But every time I asked them about sports, they were like, no, little boy, no, little boy, no, little boy. So you buy a $3 million baseball and you go on the PR tour with it. You get exposure nationally, which we did. And then all of a sudden, the same people who said, no, little boy, guess what they say? Oh, my gosh, that guy's got money. I had to beg, borrow, and steal every penny I had for it. Just so everybody knows, it wasn't spare change. I, I had to scrounge for every penny of that. But then they see that there's three million and they make these sort of assumptions, false assumptions, but they make it. Oh my God, he's got money. More money he knows what to do with. He can just burn three million. He must be successful. Why? Because money means success. Uh, that's just sort of an easy jump that we make. And if he's successful, you know what? And he says he's a sports fan. You know what? bring them on in. And now all of a sudden I get a meeting. The people who said no little boy wouldn't even open up the door. All of a sudden now are saying, yeah, come on in. And I come on in at a time when other companies were dropping sports and I was at the right spot to catch it. And oh, by the way, in some cases, like with a couple of the leagues, I went to the union first because you have to have a, a contract for the union so you can use the player likeness in the name. And then you have to have a contract with the league so you can use their logos in the uniform and you have to mesh the two together. So I went to the union first and the union who always gets the short end of it because everything is like t-shirts and hats. And it's like, you know, the players aren't getting a lot. So I went and made the deal with the players first because they took my money really quickly. Hmm. And then I put out a line of, of hockey toys that were generic with no, no actual professional uniform just to show them I could make money. And then I went to uh, some of the leagues and go, Hey, just wondering, I'm making toys. I'm already making cash and I'm keeping all of it and sharing it with the union. The question is, you want me to put your logos on it so you can get some of the cash? That Like, you want nothing or do you want something? Oh, by the way, it's coming. I don't care what your answer is, I'm doing it. And, and, and smart people, especially people that are in business, when you give them the choice between something and nothing, historically, they'll always take the something. Right. So they go, okay. Right. Matter of fact, one, one league was, was going to sue me. Really? Sue me. They were going to, cause they said my generic uniforms were too close. And I'm like, Oh dude, <laughs> let's, I remember sitting in that room with those lawyers going, let's go to court. They're threatening <laughs> to take me to court. They're threatening to take me to court. Let's go to court for two reasons. Number one, go Google me. You'll see I've been to court. I am not afraid to go to court. Number two, Here's the thing I don't understand about you, because this is a weird thing, because I'm just Canadian born. I don't understand you Americans sometimes. So here's what your choice is. Your choice is you are saying right now to me, you own everything. Not only do you own red, you're telling me you own reddish. Not only do you own four inch stripes, you own four to seven inches. You somehow own inches roughly, right? Wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty greedy. So let's just say you're completely right. I think you're wrong. I think you're dead wrong. But let's say you're right. Let's go to court. And right now you own it all. According to you, you own it all. 
If you win, guess what? You own it all. There's no upside. But if you're wrong on one of those counts, on one single count, not only do I get to do it, I'll make it my life's mission to make sure that every human being on the planet knows that they can also do it too. And you're going to have a thousand people doing what I'm doing. Or you can give me your logos and I'll give you a check for a million dollars guarantee right now. Plus I'm going to make even more for that. I don't know. I don't, it's a weird thing. You can either lose because you're not going up in court. You can only go down or you can take a million bucks. Guess what they did? They took the million bucks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's at some point you have to have these odd conversation with human beings, right? Which is why I have pieces of my businesses that I own and collect. So after I have those conversations, I can go take my ideas and say, I don't have to deal with any of those human beings. I can just go do my own thing and I can get my sanity back. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you're having conversations about, you're going to sue me because I'm trying to give you a million bucks. Wow. Wow. Sometimes I have Alice in Wonderland conversations with big corporations, but you know what? They get to do what they got to do. My job is to just basically try and educate them and just react on a certain level. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't look for fights. I don't pick fights. I don't want fights. But let me tell you right now, anybody's listening, I don't care how big you are, I am not afraid of any fight. I won't pick it. I won't start it. But if you want to go, let's go. <laughs> let's go. So if you think your scare tactic is going to be that we're going to muscle you, shoot, dude, let's go. Because if I can use myself to put a crack in a system so that 20,000 other people can use that crack, I will be that poster boy. I will be mm. gladly that poster boy. I hear you. I love it. Um, you mentioned, obviously, you know, the players union. And that yep. kind of answers a question of mine that I, I assumed, because my understanding is Michael Jordan was separate from the NBA players union. Yep. So I, I assume that's why you guys might not have that license. And I'm wondering, with all the attention, you probably know, like ESPN's doing that 10-part documentary about the 98 Bulls. Does that is that an opportunity or a moment where you guys let's go back to Jordan and see if we can get that license? Uh, it's it, those opportunities are possible. Um, and so the, uh, Michael Jordan is not the only athlete, right? There are other mm. athletes that have broken away from the union. I mean, when we did our Barry Bonds figures when he was chasing the all time home run record. I had to deal with Barry personally, right? Because he, he, he broke away from the union. So sometimes you can get the deal done. Uh, just sometimes when people break away on their own, their ask, their requirement is so out of the norm of what it takes that I couldn't then put out a product at the same price, uh, and make it work. Right. It was just, I could it just, it would blow my model. Right. Uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't willing to raise the price of all my figures so that I could accommodate one or two players themselves. Um, and then in terms of like, you know, are there opportunities, you know, now, especially with no, no pro sports going period, uh, and, and Michael Jordan, the answer might be more of a yes, depending on if I was making a different product, if the product was like hats and t-shirts, you can turn those out fairly quickly. Uh, it's, it's a hot, it's, you know, the documentary's out now, he's in the limelight now. Can you turn out the product now? Making toys is, uh. 
any words from an eight to 12 month uh, adventure. And so you have to have the confidence that 12 months down the line, that what you're doing will still be relevant. Every time mm. we go and sign a license uh, that we want to put a brand on, I have to have full confidence that a year from now that brown that brand will be relevant. Because otherwise, if it's not, you're going to spend a lot of time and money. You're going to go make uh, your product. You're going to ship your product over here, and it's going to land just at a time when everybody's moved on to the next sort of fad uh, of whatever it was uh, that they that they were doing. Um, but again you're constantly trying to determine where you want to invest your money, right? So to go back to the ball example, the $3 million, although it sounds crazy, was what I told myself was going to be the ante at the big boys poker game. Remember, mm-hmm. they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't letting me come in. So they go, if you want to play with us, boy, you got to ante up. And the ante was the $3 million, right? And so now that you're in, the question is, are you good enough now that they're letting you play with them? Are you good enough to succeed, right? And so what I've said to people is, it's interesting. If I'd spent $3 million on a Super Bowl ad, which they cost way more than that now, uh, nobody would have batted an eye and nobody would have said I was a crazy man, right? They would have just gone, oh, okay, cool. Um, you spend on, on a $3 million ball, but it gets me four contracts, football, baseball, basketball, hockey. I then do those for 10, 12 years. You know, we probably net out, you know, uh, in, in margins, you know, close to $20 million. I, I, I back out the three, which was the original investment on that silly little baseball. You're still up in the poker game. You're still up, right? right? And so if I put the $3 million in advertising and marketing, nobody bats an eye. And as a matter of fact, it's always weird if I spend $5 million manufacturing an item, Nobody bats an eye, right? You spend $3 million on a baseball, everybody got an opinion about it, which I understand because they understand what a baseball is. They don't understand maybe the nuance of business. So, uh, so you're constantly trying to figure out where you want to spend your time, effort, and money. And sometimes those efforts are short-term results. And sometimes just in your gut, you just go, no, I think we got to do this because I think long-term, that was the baseball. That was my thinking on the baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, was I think long term I'll make my money back if if this all goes according to plan. There's a lot of big ifs, but I'll, I'll I'll make it back. And I had the luxury of doing it. If I was a public company, I could never have done what I just did because you have to validate your decision making on a spreadsheet of rows and columns. And they're going, okay, you spent three million. Show us how you're going to make it all back now, Todd, on this chart. And the answer is I can't. I just I just have a feeling in my gut. Yeah, that's not an answer. That's not an answer to public companies, right? right? You can't go on, you have to go on data. You have to, and you become a slave to data, right? So, okay, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a slave to any of that. So I get to, again, those are, those are advantages at times for a company like mine. Now you, again, you're um, on your way to being a professional baseball player at one no, point. Well, I, think I wouldn't say that, I, that was my dream. That was my, I, played, I played at a high, high, high level, just wasn't good enough to make the next step. So. so obviously, you know, real investment passion there. When you're bidding for that ball and the price is going up, do you start to play tricks like mind games yourself, like saying, okay, well, even if I don't get the contracts with the, uh, 
the sports, this will be free publicity from the press. Do you start like playing those games yourself, like convince yourself to drive the price up or it was no, just about those things? Not that day. I had to win. I was an anonymous bidder. Hmm. If I had lost, I was an anonymous bidder. I'm forgotten six seconds later. The reason it got up as high as it did, just to bore your audience a little bit, was that the auction for the ball was being held at Madison Square Garden in New York. And they had, as you can imagine, a pretty public venue. And they had dozens and dozens and dozens of media there. Mm -hmm. And the guy I was bidding against was sitting in the audience. I was the anonymous bidder. And, and, and he said afterward, he was only supposed to go up to like a million, just past a million, right? But what ended up happening, he got caught up in the moment. And I could hear it over the phone that every time that I bid, because I was anonymous, nobody knew, it was like, and then when he would bid, he, they'd go, and it was like almost like a sporting event that it's like, and he had the home field advantage. Right, right. At that point, <laughs> once we reached a million, there was only two of us. And at that point, the bidding started to go up incrementally by 100,000, right? So, so I have one, one, he goes one, two, one, three. So every time it comes back to you, you're, another 200,000 doesn't take very many more bids to just start adding numbers on. I thought, I thought he would, he, I could get him out at least at two. Right. right. The problem was from my perspective, besides he had everybody egging him on and he said some of the people that had dropped out that he was vote uh, that were also bidding earlier were going, come on, I'll give you the hundred thousand. So he got caught up in it. Right. Mm. And the media was like all there and he saw all the lights and he was going to be the darling that day. Um, I had a disadvantage that the lady that was doing the bidding for me over the phone, she had never done it before. She was the roommate of somebody who would work at this, uh, auction house. And because they knew it was going to be busy, she got called in and the one lady said, I've got a roommate. She'll come in and answer the phone. Mm. And so she came in and because it was so loud, I was telling her, get the hand up and don't put it down. Get the hand up. Don't put it down. Because then at least, if I was in person, it's what I would have done, right? right? I don't care what your price is. This arm's not even going down. At the moment you bid, I'm, I'm on it. And at some point, you're going to go, shit, this guy's got more money than brains, right? And I could scare you out earlier. She couldn't hear me. So in between each bid, she put her hand down. Right. And it, and it, and it made the other guy, I think it made the other guy think I was near my, my threshold. He, he was so, perceiving hesitation. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ugh, that young lady, don't know her name, but she cost me a lot of money that day. So. Uh, but did, did you have a number in your head that you were not going to go past? Uh, yeah, but I went past it. Oh, <laughs> got it, got it. Wow. Right? I, then the follow-up to that, the follow-up to that is that a few years later, Barry Bonds breaks the record. He had 73 home runs. They fight over this ball because remember when it went in, one guy had it, then there was a dog pile. He dropped the ball and somebody ended up with it. Those two people, the person who touched it at the beginning, the person who had it at the end, they go into court and they fight about it for a long time. And I thought they should have sold it and then and like and put it in escrow and then mm. went to court, but they didn't. They fought and fought and fought. So a couple of years went by. Uh, and then they put it up for auction and then, uh, they, uh, ESPN said, Hey, that's going up for auction. You want to bid on that one talk? How much do you think it's worth? And I, I said, I think it's worth about a half a million bucks. Uh, and they were going, come on, you're just saying that because you want to suppress the price. You paid $3 million. I keep telling everybody, if you, 
if you look at the growth of any chart and it goes like this, it goes up and then you get this blip that goes way up, way down. They call that an outlier. They call that an outlier, either up or down. They call it an outlier. The $3 million bid on that baseball was an outlier. I think the most that any, anybody had ever paid up to that point was something like three, 400,000 for a baseball. So it was a complete outlier. Everybody mm -hmm. thought that everything was worth a million bucks after that. Nobody was spending a million dollars. Nobody has on a baseball since that day, right? So it's an outlier. It's the only ball that ever got paid more than 400,000 at the time, right? Like, what are you talking about? So then they say, Todd, you want to you uh, bid on the Barry Bonds ball? I don't, and I didn't. But they said, oh, come on, Todd. We're gonna, we'll put you up on a split screen. We'll put you up <laughs> on a split screen, and we'll, we'll have you there. And I'm, now, again, this is where, as a businessman, you're going, so you're going to give me national coverage, and all i got to do is pretend I'm bidding a little bit? Woo, I'll take that. So I was headed to Walmart, uh, and so I did a touchdown in Dallas. I, I, I had a layover I, before I go on to Walmart because uh, i got to sell toys. Um, and I went into a studio, I put it in, and I'm sitting there going, I'll go up to half a mil and then I'm out. And this time there was way more big spenders in the room because uh, you have to qualify your bank accounts and everything else. So there are, everybody in the room's legit. So I go, I'll go to half a million and I'm out. And I sit there, da, 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 and then I go, okay, half a million. And then, and then you hear the words you don't want to hear when you, when you go, ah, I'm just doing a sting bit. Going once, going twice, so. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> so I, I told my wife, I promised her I wouldn't come home with the ball, which uh, we invariably did. But, the, the, you know, again, in, in hindsight, uh, besides getting the attention, I can now say I've got the top three home run balls of all time. And you never, ever really want to walk into any business meeting and say you got the second best of anything. Because it will beg the obvious question. Well, where's the best? Mm. So... So, okay, and I got it at a fraction of the cost, right, of what I did the first go-round. So I got another boost and saying, hey, it's the same guy doing it. And then I did some of the stuff uh, with Barry for the, for the all-time home run mark and stuff. So I made all the money back on that one way easier. Um, and I still got the ball. Cool, right? Nice. So, but again, it's just, it was just, it's still all, it's still all, even when it goes wrong, which is I ended up having to actually buy the ball, I just then, okay, my first thing after that was, now, how do I make this work? I wasn't intending on investing that, but now that we've invested that, how do we make it work? How do we get our investment back? And we just started, we started planning from there. I love it. Incidentally, for people listening, <clears throat> there's a, a, a documentary that may or may not be on YouTube, or maybe you could buy it on Amazon called The Devil You Know, where if anyone wants to watch you go through that process, that frustrating process of bidding on the McGuire yeah. 3 million home run ball, they can actually watch it in that documentary. And I love the thing about that documentary because it shows right there after you buy it, you're like, let's, like you were saying, let's make it work. It just tells the audience right there, Todd's not some crazy moron. Like he has a game plan. He knows exactly what he's doing or at least exactly what he wants to do. And he's executing on that, which I, I absolutely love. And I also want to go into the story and I'm glad we really dove into it because I think a lot of people listening to this interview, they're going to be, they know who you are. But for those that don't, 
I think it's important for Nakir, someone like you who's super successful, you grinded for 20 years, being very successful to get the DC license. You went through over 700 rejection letters from Marvel and DC when you're trying to get your first comics artist gig. Like you don't give up. You grind, like you're very intelligent. You're very savvy. You're very shrewd. And in my opinion, you have a lot more common sense and you think a lot more intuitively than most people, but you, you're not lazy you go after everything and you grind out every last step. So I wanted to highlight that about yeah, like, so, so let's, talk, let, let's, let's talk about that piece. Okay. As I've gotten older, the things that I realize now is that, is that personalities matter. Okay. And what comes very natural to me isn't necessarily, isn't necessarily natural to other people. Right. And so I can say, hey, here's all the things that I've done. And even if somebody was to replicate every one of those, if they don't have the same mentality, then, then it's not going to work the same, right? And so, again, like I said earlier, I am, I, I am not afraid of any fight. That's not a natural thing. That's not even sort of a, a, sort of a, a sane piece of personality to sort of have that's in there. But you have to the, – the one thing that I would give myself – uh, and it may be a deficiency. Let me just say it may be a complete utter chemical deficiency in my body is that I'm fearless. I don't have it. I rarely have any fear in my body ever, ever. And I'm not just saying in business, I'm saying at anything, you want me to jump off a cliff, I'll do it. And I've done it. Right. Hmm. So it's like, okay, let's go. So the, the, the easy, the easy sort of quick way to know whether you have the personality a little bit is this simple question. Have you ever been the first one out on the dance floor? And if the answer is no, in your entire life, you may not be cut out for it. Because the person who's the first one out on the dance floor doesn't give a shit about anybody else's opinion in that room. Why? Because I went to that room to dance with my wife. That was the goal. I had one goal, take my wife out, have a nice evening, go and dance with her. Now I have two choices. Nobody wants to dance. Nobody wants to be the first. I have two choices. I can either go with the rest of the room and not dance, which wasn't the goal and not dance with my sweetheart because of fucking strangers don't have the, 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 the pride, the guts, the confidence to do it. Or I can go up and I can dance. And given that that was why I was there, why do I even care what any of those strangers, I'm never going to even talk to any of those strangers again. I don't even know who those strangers are. And if they think I dance funny, great. If they think I dance better than John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever, great. It doesn't change why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then what happens is then you go, oh, then there's the next wave of people that come along. And then usually where most people are is like, oh, when the, when the dance floor is crowded and it's easy, then I'll go. When it's easy, then I'll go. And by that point, ladies and gentlemen, it's too late to be a leader. It's too late to get noticed because you're too big of a crowd. They don't know who you are. And so even though I dance crazy at times and I'm not very skilled at dancing, I still get notoriety because I sometimes go out there and expose myself before anybody else. So you don't have to be the best person. You just have to do it. And I keep saying to artists, 
I can be in a room with 10 other artists. I can be the worst artist in the room. I can be number 10 out of 10. Somebody walks into the room and says, hey, we want to give you a job. Uh, uh, and we only have one job. And guess what? I can get the job. You know how I get the job? This is easy. This is easy. Because the other nine people that are better than me, that can dance better, draw better, do whatever better than me, making toys, I don't care, name it, they're better than me. When that person came in and said, hey, we need you to do it, the other nine people didn't put their hand up. And when they walked in, the first thing I did is I put my hand up, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so now that person has to go, ah, there's nine people in this room better than Todd, but none of them want to do it. I'm going to give the job to Todd. You can succeed by just doing it, right? Nike's got the best slogan in the world. Just do it. That will get you halfway there. That will get you halfway there. I don't know if I can run an ice cream parlor because I don't know if I can run. I don't know if it'll work. Here's what I know for a fact, for a hundred percent fact. If you never open up that ice cream parlor you've been lamenting about, you will never succeed. You will succeed to 0% because you've never opened one up. You're never going to know if it's going to succeed till you try, till you try. So please, either A, I've got two points. The dad side of me says, try. Try at least once. And the worst that happens is that you fail and you go back exactly to where you're at right now. Just go back to where you're at. The other side of me, which is the businessman, says, don't try. Do me a favor. Don't try. Be one of those people in that room with me that does everything better than I can do. But don't put your hand up because I will never have to compete with you ever. Make my life easy. Give me more exposure. Make me more relevant by basically talking yourself out of doing it. What are you talking about? Those are your only two choices. You either make my life easy or you basically make it be a competitor. As a dad, go do it, son. Go do it, daughter, because you may be 10 times better than any of us have ever thought. But the business side of me says, fine, keep coming up with your bullshit excuses why you can't do it. Because when somebody says, can you do it, Todd? I always put my hand up. Even if I don't think I can do it, I still think I can do it, right? That's just the natural part of my personality. And everybody isn't built for that. Everybody isn't built for that. Good mm -hmm. for me. Good for me. Right. And, you know, just so we're clear, I, I'm making this assumption about you. You're, because I know that I am this person and I know a lot of my listeners are this person. You've yep. never been this person that reads business books and learns in that way. You're just doing this. That, that's my hunch is correct on that, right? Yeah, um, yeah, because part you know, again, I started as a as a artist, and an artist will always complain about the executives, and I and I'm I, I I'm not that guy, so I just I said I'm 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 going to start the business, and I'm just going to learn, and to me, it's just a language. I call it a, I call it a business language, right? I'm bilingual now, right? I used to know one language, art, hmm. and now I know two languages, business and art. Um, I think there, I, I, again, I think there's lots to be learned uh, uh, by business people. Here's what I would say. It's, uh, it's sort of the same recommendation I give to artists. I want to break into the business. Show me your portfolio. Let me give you some comments. But don't take what I have to say as being the gospel. Go to 10 other artists. Show them the exact same pages. Get their influence. 
And if you start hearing repetitiveness through them, then maybe apply those comments. You don't have to apply mm -hmm. everybody's because you drive yourself crazy. But if you start hearing three or four things, your storytelling needs to be better, your anatomy needs to get better, you know, whatever it is, textures, whatever, uh, then, then just hone on those, right? That's all I did. I, I had 20 things that I was bad at when I started handing my sample, and I just got it down to 19, 18, 17. I just knocked off one at a time. And they gave me a job when I still was deficient in 10 because they assumed I was going to keep getting better. Uh, I think business is a little bit like that. Let me give you my best words of advice. Any, any entrepreneur, I'm gonna give you my best words of advice, right? Because here's the thing that's crazy to me. Put your plan together, put your business plan together, get it all buttoned up as much as you can. Most people stop at that point before they implement. And this is why I think small businesses fail. Because they stop and they implement at that point. I'm gonna give you one more add-on. Plan together. Todd's still with me. Looks like your connection's slowing down a little bit. A cupcake uh, place. Fine. Oh. Okay. Let me hey. let me move it. Sorry about that, Todd. Just as you were saying, uh, button it up. The uh, thing slowed down there. Uh, okay. So so what <laughs> Final you want to do is you want to button up your plan. You mm -hmm. want to button up your plan, and then you want to add one more component to it. You want to go out into the real world, and you want to make sure that it actually is doable, right? Most people button up their plan and implement, that's the failure rate, that's the failure rate. 80% of small businesses will fail. And the reason is because they forgot the one little piece in the middle, and I'm gonna give you what that piece in the middle is from my perspective. Once you've got your plan, go and see if you can find somebody else within a 50 mile radius of you who's doing exactly what you wanna do with your business and whether that plan holds. Or if you're doing something global, then find a global company, but see if it holds. So here's, here's the example. I'll give you a simple example of what I just said. You wanna start a cupcake company, small little, small little mom and pop cupcake company. And you go, okay, I need this much money for the building and the rent. I need this much money for a couple of employees. I need this much money for uh, the dough and the batter and all the machinery okay, I need to make $10,000. The way to make $10,000, I'm selling my cupcakes at $3. That means I need to sell 500, I'm using round numbers. I need to sell 500 cupcakes in a month. And then you look at your spreadsheet and you go, man, if I do that, uh, this will all work. Here's where the failure comes in. Nobody did the next step was, is anybody in your city selling fucking 500 cupcakes a day? You got to sell five or in a month, you got to sell 500 a month, whatever your quota is, a month, a week, a day, whatever it is. If you have to sell 500, let's, 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 let's make it 500 a day. I would go, if it was me, before I open up my cupcake shop, if your data said you got to sell 500 a day, I would go to the most popular cupcake store in your city. I would take my counter, I would sit out front, and I would click the number of people and the number of cupcakes that they bought. Because at the end of the day, if the most popular place in the entire city is only selling 250 cupcakes and they're the king and the queen, you can either say, oh, I'm twice as good as them, even though nobody even knows you exist. Or you can look at your spreadsheet and say, oh, maybe 500 a day isn't realistic. And that's the failure rate. 
on paper, they can make it work. Anybody can make it work on paper. The reality of whether any of that's actually happening and the customers are in the habit of buying at that rate, that's, that's the data that you need to confirm whether your convictions actually have any validity to it. And I have got lots of friends that have started companies and didn't do that middle step, the confirmation of, of another competitor to see what, whether their numbers actually were realistic or not. And they weren't. And they went out of business within a year, year and a half. Brilliant. So I got two more questions for you, Todd. Sure. One, to, one for the old school Todd McFarlane fans and then one for the entrepreneurs. Okay. So for the old school fans, just because I know one in particular asked, what would it take for you to go back and do one more issue of Spider-Man or a, one Spider-Man crossover? Okay. Uh, so this one's easy. Uh, the, what it would take uh, for me to go back and do Spider-Man, short of them handing me the entire company for free, <laughs> right? I won't, I won't do it. I won't do it. Not even one issue. It's just that's not, not for one you. Issue. Not one issue. And here's why. Here's why for me, because I'm just sort of militant about all this. Um, I consider, and I worked at Marvel in DC. I had lots of friends, enjoyed my time, enjoyed the books. So people misinterpret that. They think that I didn't like it. I loved it. I had a good time. It made my career. M working at Marvel in DC for me is the equivalent of me going to high school. Mm. Did I have friends in high school? Sure. Did I have a good time? Well, that. Um, I'm not sure you hear me. I lost a uh, microphone. Did it pop out? Oh, no, no, no. There, can you hear that? Yep, I hear you now. Sometimes I put my thumb over it. So, uh, so, so I consider Marvel DC to be, like I said, high school. I enjoyed high school. I enjoyed the people there. I enjoyed the teachers. I enjoyed the activities. Do I plan on ever going back to high school? No, never. Why? Because it's something in my past. I learned from it. I enjoyed it. I was able to sort of get what I needed out of it. It's in my past. I, I don't need to go and work for a big giant corporation. Now, does that preclude me from doing what you just said? The only way I would ever draw Spider-Man, and I've had this conversation with people at Marvel, some of the big mucky mucks. Um, the only way I would ever come and do Spider-Man again is that I go Spawn would have to be attached. Mm. Spawn would have to be attached. Who's Spawn? That's my character, right? That's my character. So. If somewhere along the line that there comes a time where I feel the need or the enjoyment or the itch to want to do it for whatever reason, for either business or creative, that I want to draw Spider-Man again, then I'm dragging Spawn into the fray with me. Why? Because then I'll be able to then leverage Spawn there in the contract so that we'll be splitting the proceeds of that book to the owners of the various characters, blah, 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 blah. So it's possible, that one's, that one's possible before I die. Uh, the, the just doing a issue for Marvel DC, forget Spider-Man. Uh, we left, we started Image Comics, the third largest company besides Marvel and DC uh, in 1992. I have done a sum total since 1992 of zero pages for hmm. Marvel and DC, zero. All my other, all my other founders, all, my, all the other partners, they, 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 they can't say the same thing, right? I, I, I'm just, I'm just, it, to me, it's just natural saying, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not going to smoke, right? Like you just, every day, it's not a hardship. You just, 
you, I don't know if you smoke, but if you don't, it's easy to not smoke today because you haven't been doing it for 20, 30 years. It's easy. It's easy. So, okay, cool. Why? I'm doing good. And oh, by the way, in a downturn, I just put out my single figure of spawn on the Kickstarter, like you said at the beginning, and we're at 2.2 million. Like, if it's commerce that I need, I can make my own commerce, right? That one's, that one's the easy part. So I don't have a need to have to go back to high school. Love it. So you're actually, you're segueing into my final question for you. And, and thank you, by the way, for being so generous with your time and unloading gold on my, on my audience here. So the last question is, you have this Kickstarter. It's 2.2 million. I think it's safe to say it's a smashing success. At this point, with your level of awareness, where do you see yourself taking future Kickstarter projects? Kickstarter, uh, so let's strip away the word Kickstarter. I think the word crowdfunding is, is a more relevant word, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are, there's more than just Kickstarter out there. Um, I've, I've sold at big stores, you know, the Walmart and Target and, and Toys R Us. I've sold at, you know, sort of the side stores and the specialty stores, whether that's comic shops or KB Toys or Tower Records or Hot Topics or any of those. I've done that. I've sold it on my own dot-coms and I've sold it through other big companies, dot-coms like Amazon and stuff like that. What I've never really done was a crowd source, crowdfunding place. Not because I need to or I want to or I think it's good. It's just, I just don't have the data. I don't have, I don't know what it means to my company and to my types of products that we make. So instead of trying to speculate what it means, I just got to the point where I said, hey, we should just do this. And then when the virus came, it actually kicked it up another level that it's like, well, we should accelerate it because let's get while the while spawn is just coming out of the video game and people are at least in at least a little bit of a good mood. Let's let's get it. And at the end of it, I may find that crowdfunding isn't the way to go. I may find that there's deterrence that bug me uh, or or whatever else, but at least I will have concrete data. I will have confirmation instead of making educated guesses, which is what most of us do in business anyway. I, like, let's get some hard data. So now we'll have some hard data and we'll decide whether that's a venue we want to try again. And if we do, is it specifically exclusively with Kickstarter or are there other different ways that we can then take this opportunity and this experiment? I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll wait till it's all done and I'll collect all that information and then we will assimilate it both on a creative and a business level and say, hey, we want to do it again. And if so, what does that look like? I love it. Well, I, I think everyone listening, that even if they're not aware of you, should check out your Kickstarter. Maybe even considering pledging, if, if nothing else, to watch how a company of, of your level of excellence, uh, excellence operates. And I think it would be a really good even learning experience for people to see what you're doing with this. Yeah, I, I, okay, I, nobody has to give me any money, right? So I'm like, because I'm, I'm, again, no. Uh, Here's what, I, here's what I would recommend better if people enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I did one a couple of years ago. You can go to YouTube called Blueprint. Uh, it's a business. It's a business type interview like yours. Uh, I think there's a lot of additional information in that uh, that they may find interesting and useful too. Uh, like I said, you can find it for free. Uh, that's just information for free, uh, which is always a good, a good deal. Don't, don't worry about supporting what I'm doing right now. Just go and gather information for yourself. Cool. Fair enough. Well, one way or another guys follow Todd. He, 
he knows his stuff and I can count on my, on one hand, like the top people that have taught me the most in business. Todd McFarlane is the only one that doesn't actually make it his business to teach business. Everyone else is writing a book and, and teaching, which is fine. Todd teaches by actually doing. So everybody that doesn't know about him, please check out what he just said, like learn about him. Hopefully this interview was, was really useful. Todd, thank you so much for your time. We didn't, um, even, we didn't even get to the other big conversation, which is, Hollywood in the movie I'm yeah well that's, directing so that like we'll come back for that one and I'll tell you how that one that that side works yeah real quick I'll just squeeze in one question like um I know the Spawn movie like it's still going on funding and you were talking about maybe even just like reaching out to people and saying like hey <laughs> throw me a buck and we're gonna make a movie yeah. um I don't I know still if this think is, it's true I still think it's true I actually real quick uh, before I let you go I was thinking about that and you know better how feasible this is but I wonder if there's a thing where you make a comic, you know, the, the, the $20 million comic where people pay on a crowdfunding site for the digital comic that yeah. you either redraw a version of a comic that they're curious about or you redo covers, you do something where like here's original artwork from Todd McFarlane that I can get nowhere else. You know, you can sell autographed copies and things like that. That might be a good way of, of getting through. Uh, there's no lack of ideas to get people excited about, about anything and, and then and then it doesn't really matter about the money you make. It matters about whether your model is right size, right? Mm. So you can make a thousand dollars if your overhead is less than a thousand, right? So some companies have to make a hundred million because their overhead is close to a hundred million. So if you, you just, you got to make sure that you're just spending a little bit less than you're bringing in. And then you get to this word that allows you to keep doing it, which you call it a bit of a profit. And then you get to do it again. Right. So the mistake that people make is at times that they their overhead doesn't match what is happening on the sales end of it. So either you have to come up with ways to get more revenue or you have to lower your overhead. One of the, one of the two. Right. So right. if I want to be an art house company and just do crazy stuff and not sell to, to uh, Walmart and Target, that's a different that's a different model than I have. And, and, and a different body count of the number of employees that I have. I've just chosen to go in a certain direction, but other companies are doing other iterations of it, which are completely valid. Well, if I'm not mistaken, you've got Jamie Foxx and Jeremy Renner attached still, right? Yep. Yep. So uh, hopefully I, in, a, in a week or two, I'll have another name to know. Nice. Looking forward to it. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. This is happening one way or another. Whether the funding comes yeah, oh tomorrow yeah. or comes six months from now, this movie is going to happen. And oh. um, you're saying like this is going to be something that most people haven't seen before because you know I I personally like the Marvel movies, but that's a certain type of movie, and this is going to be something in a completely different category that's going to capture the imagination. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, if you if you don't have a big budget, you don't have to succeed as much either. So that's that's yes. that's all, like we just spend a fraction of what they're spending in movies then we only have to succeed a little bit and everybody will be happy and they'll let us do a, a sequel. So uh, sometimes you, you try to limit risk uh, so that you can get across and jump over the low bar you set for yourself uh, so that you can do it again. I love it. Todd McFarlane, thank you so much for being on Shattered Mole Man. Thanks for, for sharing this insight. Um, this is amazing. You've, you've officially set the bar really high for my next guest. So uh, they might not thank you, but I do. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this insight. Yeah, no, and I, like I said, I appreciate all you people that are engaged in all the fans while we're all on lockdown, giving us something to basically think and talk about. So uh, you guys are all providing a huge service too.
Thank you, thank you, thank you one more time to Mr. Todd McFarlane. Guys, anyone who's been listening to the show for a while now knows that this is usually the part where I ask you to subscribe and leave a quick, honest, written review. But after what you just heard, I'm just going to straight up say it. If you don't deliver a five-star review for this show based on this episode, there is something wrong. Because Todd dropped absolute bombs of wisdom and knowledge and insight and... If you don't use what you've learned from this interview to make things better in your business and in your life, you are really missing out. I'll say no more, but I do want to say once again, thank you so much to Todd McFarlane for an awesome interview. Thanks to you, the listener, for checking this show out, and I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to Shatter the Mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold.